going to invite Dave to come up in a second. You can go ahead, Dave. But I'm going to have him read a passage of Scripture, and as you're hearing him read it, if there's certain things that sort of strike you, you may want to underline them, and then keep your notes out because I'm going to ask you to do something with them a little bit later in the service. But before Dave starts to read the Scripture, I know this is a, a Scripture that needs some context before David just launches into it because it's a little, it, well, it's very co- contextual. In the church at Corinth, the congregation is already coming into a struggle on an issue that mattered a great deal to both sides. You have to realize that right after the death of Jesus, the church was made up primarily of Jews who had decided to follow Jesus, Jewish Christians. But as the ministry expanded, others were brought into the faith, including those who were not Jews, and they were called Gentiles. And these two groups, the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, had very different understandings about the world and had very different backgrounds in their history. And as they came together, they struggled with this issue that uh, was around a disagreement about food. For Jews, food was a part of their identity. They had special dietary laws that God had given them from the very beginning. And in the following of those dietary laws... They claimed and remembered their unique identity as the people of God. And so following Jesus, for many of them meant we're going to keep these things that are very important to us as we follow Jesus. The Gentiles came in, they ate about anything. They're like Methodists. And uh, they had no problem thinking, well, anything's good to go, let's just have whatever. And, uh, and it's over that issue that the church clashed. And in the scripture that Dave's about to read to you, Um, you hear the Apostle Paul coming in to try to bring around some level of what's really important here, y'all. Dave, you share that with us, please. I appreciate it. From 1 Corinthians 10. All things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Do not seek your own advantage, but that of the other. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth and its fullness are the the Lord's. If an unbeliever invites you to a meal and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it out of consideration for the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I mean the other's conscience, not your own. For why should my liberty be subject to the judgment of someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why should I be announced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, everything for the glory of God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Eve. Would you join with me in a word of prayer? Further we go back, God, it seems as if while the centuries have changed, most of the issues that are germane to our life have not. We live in a complex world with different perspectives, different ideas, different things that we all hold to be equally important or more important than maybe what someone else thinks. Help us find that common understanding that allows us amidst our differences not to ask for conformity, not to judge others out of inclusion, 
but rather to remember our purpose as a people of God. We pray this in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. I want you to get this. The church was less than 30 years old. 30 years old, that's all. And it was already in the midst of a disagreement so strong it was threatening to tear the church apart. It was an issue over, of all things, food. Jewish Christians believed that following their heritage, those who wanted to be faithful to God, when whether that was faithful as a Jew or faithful as a disciple of Jesus, whom they understood to be the incarnation of God, you ought to continue to keep those dietary laws. They had meant so much to them. It had kept them remembering who they were in the middle of a very tumultuous, not always faithful, but always a faithful God history. It mattered to them. The Gentile Christians, though, had no connection to seeing food as a part of their spiritual journey. It was separate from any consideration. So they could eat anything, um, and that was fine because they believed they could still honor and follow Jesus Christ. In one corner, you got Jewish Christians saying, God told our ancestors long ago what we could eat and what we could not eat. The uniqueness of our food reminds us that God has called us to be God's unique people in the world. The Gentiles came in saying, well, that's okay for you, but none of that has any meaning for me. So let me eat the kind of food I want. Now, you also need to know the kind of food they wanted to eat that was particularly troubling was that in Corinth, which was an extremely cosmopolitan city, uh, there were all kinds of gods being worshipped. And so what would happen is, uh, various, the, the traditions of worship in that multicultural community, meat would be sacrificed to particular gods, and then, after sacrifice, what do you do with the meat? Well, you go sell it in the market. So the Gentile Christians were not only eating things that you weren't supposed to eat by Jewish law, they were eating food that had been sacrificed to other gods and then sold in the market. Have you found that section in Kroger lately? (laughs) So all the issues were just really kicking it for the Jewish community, and there was this intense battle with each other over food. And the Apostle Paul has to come in and try to bring some sense of what, what's going on here. What, how can we resolve this conflict? You'll notice in this conversation, both sides were very clear about what should be done. They might have even gone so far as to say, I believe this is part of God's plan for us. Certainly the Jewish Christians would have said, it's been God's plan for us for generations that we eat only certain foods. And for the Gentiles coming in, they would have said, God's plan is for us to focus on Jesus and let the rest fall away. The Apostle Paul does not come in and talk about what is God's plan in the moment. He does not come in to talk about, well, I think God's plan for us now is to come together, or God's plan for us is you do your thing, you do your thing. He doesn't even talk about plan. What he does is he comes in the middle of this confrontation, this conflict, And he says to them, in essence, you're going to have to find a way to be the people of God to each other in this. And that means at times you're going to have to honor the other person's desire to do whatever they feel is right to do. 
Because what's more important is not about following a particular plan or bias, but rather to fulfilling God's purpose in this moment. He says, whatever you eat or drink, whatever you do, whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. That's our purpose. Do everything for the glory of God. Scriptural testimony tells us that from the very moment of our creation, as recorded in Genesis... Human beings are created for one singular purpose, and that is to bring glory to God. We live our lives to bring glory to God. Our worship is not to entertain you, but rather to bring glory to God. Our actions in the world are to bring God's glory into the world and have it be revealed. Paul knew that our purpose as disciples of Christ, knowing our purpose and living it, was far more important than knowing God's plan and perhaps more accessible. And so Paul does not talk about God's plan here. He talks about what's God's purpose. So in this argument we're having over food or anything else, how is God's purpose being fulfilled in this conversation? How is it being revealed in this community that may have a disagreement over this and that and the other? Paul talks about God's purpose and our purpose as followers of Jesus Christ. And in the critical moment of this church, our church, he in essence is saying this. Right now, quit your arguing, you're defending, you're judging, and you're theologizing about each other's faith. Step back and live out the purpose for which God has called you. Live it. Be it. Now for me, in my personal journey Talking about God's purpose has always made more sense, it is more accessible to me, than thinking about God's plan. Now, I can talk about God's plan easily when everything in my life is going well. Well, this is certainly God's plan for me, that, you know, things are rocking and rolling pretty smooth. I'm seeing a beautiful sunset. This is part of God's plan. Uh, I'm in a place with really beautiful people treating each other nicely. This is God's plan. The fish are biting. This is God's plan. (laughs) Holy and peaceful moments are easy for me to drop in and say, well, clearly this is God's plan. But it's in the ordinary moments when nothing spectacular is going on and when things are horribly going wrong that I find it far more difficult to talk about God's plan. In an effort to try to remain faithful to believing God has a plan for everything, I've heard well-intended preachers and members of the faith describe horrible tragedies as a part of God's plan. But as one who has spent a fair amount of my ministry walking with people through the absolute worst circumstances of life, I can tell you that I've drawn the conclusion that in those moments, one, I can neither say it's part of God's plan nor can I discern what God's plan is in those moments because my emotions and thoughts are too twisted. In other words, I don't think that it's God's plan that someone has an addiction. I don't think it's in God's plan that someone crashes a car. I don't think it's in God's plan that children get sick and die or suffer at any level. I don't think it's in God's plan that there are wars. I don't think it's God's plan that people die prematurely or any countless other tragedies that I've heard Christians try to say, that's God's plan. 
and we just need to have faith. Now, I confess to you that I am not one up today telling you that I can always know what God's plan. I'm confessing to you, I cannot always see it. Can I just tell you that? But in every situation, I know it's possible. I don't live it perfectly. I'm not doing that gig on you. But I know it's possible in every situation to remember my purpose. I can live in a way that seeks in every situation to bring glory to God. Now that I can do. Even the situations that scare me to death, even the situations I don't understand, I can there in those moments attempt to bring glory to God. I can be faithful to offer compassion or grace or forgiveness or hope or faithfulness as I understand it to come out of my purpose to bring God glory. And what I've come to discover is that the truth is, I don't always naturally work well in bringing God's glory out. But God's invitation for me to live my life to bring God glory is not denying my true self, but rather an invitation that I would eventually become the self for which I've always been created. God always created me and always created you to be those who could bring God glory. So how do we bring God glory? I, I'll be honest with you, that term's not... Have you used that word lately, glory? How many times have you used the word glory in the last week? Anybody over five times? Probably not. So we probably don't have access to an understanding and intimacy with the term glory. Well, what does it mean? You know, part of me thinks that, that when I first hear it, it's like, you know, Christians have to run around with pom-poms saying, Yay, God! Yay, God! You know? And that we just sort of, sort of sit around and do the eternal divine suck-up about how God is so amazing, so great. But that's not what it means. To bring glory is to God means that we allow other people to see God more than ourselves, To see God more than the situations around us, or rather perhaps to see how God is present with us in all situations. Because when I come into the presence of God, I can't, I can't manufacture how glorious God is. I just need to come into the presence of God, and it speaks for itself. Do you hear me, church? So I come to bring glory to God by living as God wanted me to live, as the kind of person God wanted me to be, created me to be. And when I do that, I can do that in all circumstances. The good days, the worst days of your life, you can choose. We do choose, right? We choose how we live those days. So we are invited here to let even those days, the worst days, and the days we walk into that are the worst of someone else's life, we can choose to go in and try to convince them or talk to them and... Reveal to them who God is and what God is trying to do in this moment. Or I can simply be who God needs me to be in that moment. Plans change. Right? Plans change all the time. Last week, uh, Reverend Laura gave this amazing testimony. I hope you heard it. 
If you don't, you need to go back and see last week's message because it was really powerful. And she talked about how she came to an understanding in her life about how God's plans, plural, God has multiple plans for us, and gave us this image of this divine recalculating God. Every time we go off the road a little bit, get you back in the bed. And I love that image. I just got this image that all this past week, God's been behind me going, no, Rick, here. 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 I mean, God has just gone, wow, can this guy even keep a straight line? But the point of that illustration is that wherever I go, God is staying with me. And not letting me get too far out there on my own. His plans change. But our purpose doesn't. Our purpose remains constant in all moments. That's why from the very beginning of Scripture we're, said, we're told to, that our life's purpose is to bring God glory. And why here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying, in everything, bring glory to God. That doesn't change. How we understand the Word may change. But our primary purpose of revealing God, sharing God, and living as God wants us to live, that's consistent. If you don't believe me, let me give to you another theological perspective from someone that you all appreciate, and in some ways many of you worship, Disney. Walt Disney Corporation, of course, is one of those corporations known for not only entertainment and raising its prices, I heard last night, Yeehaw. But also around helping management teams figure out how to lead in all kinds of industries. And one of the training manuals talks about this. Purpose. Your purpose. Your business's purpose. Your purpose as God's child should last at least 100 years. Who you are is who you are. And that's supposed to have long-range perspective. That doesn't change when plans change. Your purpose is to remain consistent. Or at whatever you might achieve a goal, you cannot fulfill a purpose. A purpose is like a guiding star. I accomplish a plan. That's a plan accomplishment, but the purpose is, transcends that moment. It goes beyond. It causes to continue to strive to a greater purpose. Purpose transcends moments, all the moments. So, If Paul could walk into the conflict of the church at Corinth and say, y'all, as important as this issue is for you, you've got to lay down your disagreements and live as God's purposed people, then what does that say to us? If you're a leader in any capacity, however you define that term, Cub Scout leader, PTO leader, mayor, business leader, whatever, You've got process and decisions you've got to make, goals you've got to hit, but your purpose remains consistent. As a parent, parenting changes from when you first get the child to when they're 36. I haven't got further, but I'm expecting it will continue to change after that. But what my hope is, is that my kids not only have stories about dad, They understand dad's purpose. What was my dad about? At the time of our death, people will tell stories about us. We hope. I hope somebody will show up 
and tell a story. That's my hope. I'm just I'm trying to hit that benchmark. But when we gather together, we understand the important part of the, the gathering is to tell stories. But our purpose is the theme in the midst of all those stories. What was your life about? It's not just a collection of stories. It's how those stories add up to the totality of purpose. And for Christians, it is living to God's glory. How has my life revealed and given testimony to God in all of my story? This last week, Mike Yelich passed away, and I never met the man. I know nothing about him except from what I've seen in the papers, right? And as is the case of someone of his stature, his stories have been told constantly in the news media. I can only give this conclusion from what I've heard. There are a lot of stories about Mike Illich, but there's one purpose that I've heard throughout all of his stories. Generosity. It's not that he was rich. It's that he was generous. A lot of people are rich and stingy. A lot of people are poor and generous. Generosity has nothing to do with the amount of money you have It has to do with the construction of your heart. And you don't become generous when you get a certain amount of money. You become generous when you choose to be generous. And that starts before your first dollar. What's your story going to be? This weekend, uh, coming up, the high school is going to put on the musical um, Les Miserables. I mean, you plan to go. Anybody else plan to go? One of my favorite musicals. Been listening to it for the last three weeks. Didn't even know that it was coming up at the high school. I had missed that. So I'm listening literally to a CD of Les Miserables as I drive down the road. Oh, they're doing that this week. Who knew? In the story of Les Miserables, Jean Valjean, Jean Valjean, I can't see his name now. Jean Valjean, I can't even say it. I'm tongue-tied right now. Begins at a very critical point of his life to understand his purpose. It happens when he receives forgiveness and makes a confession. And he spends the rest of his life living that purpose. So then the final scene when he dies, they don't just remember his stories, they remember his purpose. You and I come together today to decide what our purpose will be, or recommit to it. The scriptures tell us, Paul tells us, in essence, our purpose is to live God's glory and to bring to God glory. And so I want to ask you this question. If if you were to be asked this week, what's your purpose for your life? What would you say? Ah, connection to an earlier moment in the worship service. You have your sermon page in front of you. Pull it out now. And take a second. What would you say? Now, for those of you who would like to get to the head of the class early, I just told you what your purpose is, right? So you can just put down to live to God's glory. But how would you say it? 
how would you articulate it for your life in every situation, wherever you are? What is your purpose? The faith in Jesus Christ gives you that. But you're called to live it out uniquely. What do you want, what do you want to be the legacy that other people to say about you after the collection of your stories is over? Your answer to that question begins right now. What's your purpose? And once you know that, you can live that in every situation of life. Once you embrace and own your purpose, you can't do anything other than that. The saddest experience is to watch people live their lives without purpose. Why? Because each and every person is created intentionally by the living Lord and has been given gifts and abilities to their measure to be able to live in the purpose for which God created them. And when we are not living with that purpose, we're breathing and not much more. And so I invite you today, on your sheets, to continue to come back to that question. What's my purpose? Not not to get through today, not as I walk into that meeting tomorrow, but for it all. The answer to that question has the potential of changing the world. And I'm not using hyperbole. I'm offering you an invitation. Amen.